Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ryan. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. But before we get started, we want to let you know ways you can be our heroes and help and support our show. The simplest way is to listen, give us a like, give us a share, and tell people about us. If you'd like to take an extra step, you can visit our website and check out our Amazon affiliate links. There you can find a lot of different tools that you can help uh, enhance your game, and you can help support our show by using our links to buy things you're going to buy anyway. As of right now, we have a weekly rotation of a tool of the week, Um, so definitely swing by and see what it is. You can swing by and pick up all the support manuals for all the wonderful adventures for Dungeons & Dragons. We have Curse of Strahd, we have uh, Yawning of the Portal, we have every release book you can click, you can go, it'll take you right to Amazon, and a little bit of that will come back to us to help support the show. Yep. We're also on Patreon. Yeah, join us on Patreon, become a patron. Yeah, a patron. That's what I said. You said patron. patron. You know what? <laughs> Fuck you. They're not a Decepticon. You know what? Become a, <laughs> become a patron. <laughs> You're going to give me a hard time about how I say that. Become a patron and go. support our show. Yeah. You get behind-the-scenes footage. You get to watch us record live. Um, Monthly Google Hangouts. Google Hangouts, yeah. The different tiers provide all kinds of different rewards. You can interact with our us during our recordings and our show, which is going to be fun and gives you a little bit of input and yeah. questions you can ask live. You know, and really just help help us out, um, help us keep producing content for you. Before today's show gets started, we have um, take a moment for our awesome fellowship members, Goblin Stone. Thanks to our fellowship members over at Goblin Stone, all of Crit Nation has a chance to win wonderful prize each and every week. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products, and they want to give every single one of their fans a chance to have their work published. Make sure you head on over to goblinstone.com, or you can check out our fellowship link on our own website at critacademy.com. Our winner this week is... Anne Bracey. Woohoo! Congratulations. Congratulations. You are this week's winner. Enjoy your adventure. Please head on over to Goblinstone and let them know what you think. Thanks for joining us today on Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your rolls don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your rolls are like tracking temporary HP with an ink pen. <laughs> uh, um, on today's show, uh, we're going to hear feedback um, from Troy Zeisler. He's got a very interesting one on multiclassing and taking feats. We also have a very special guest that will be on the show today. Ross McConnell from Two Minute Tabletop will be joining us today. Sadly, Ryan, you will not be here for that recording. I did not make it to the interview. That's okay. So you'll get to hear from him and about his processes and his artwork, and it's wonderful. It's absolutely gorgeous, and he's got 18 free maps. If you want to head on over to 2minutetabletop.com and check them out. And then, of course, we have our unearthed tips and tricks. We've got some really delicious stuff for you today. But before all that, we do In the Realm. Ryan, what's going on in your realm? So I just started... Iron Fist came out, and yes. I watched it. I know you watched it as well. You weren't as big of a fan of it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. 
But I've also just started watching Fooly Cooly. Oh, that's which awesome. Which is anime. an anime, uh, a friend at work. I'm not really an anime person. I don't watch a lot of anime, which, which every is time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Every time I say, you know, someone's like, oh, you speak Japanese. Do you watch anime? No. <laughs> no oh, so no, you have I an don't. Asian fetish? No. <laughs> then why did you learn Japanese? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding when I say that. The vast majority of people I ask, like Japanese students, why mm-hmm. are you learning Japanese? It's either anime or women. 95% of the time. Women are good. Well, my wife used to ask me if she's perfect. I said, you are 99.9% perfect. If you were Asian, you would nail that. Oh, my that. God. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm not really a huge anime person. I've watched a couple, and I've, I I don't hate anime. I'm not one of, like, I don't, like, avoid it. I just I've never gotten super into it. A friend at work wants me to watch Fooly Cooly, and he wants to talk about it. One of my friends who's going to be an English teacher, so he's all into symbolism and stuff, and so he mm-hmm. wants me to watch it so we can discuss symbolism. Um, right. So uh, I watched the first episode. was very confused, but... <laughs> yeah, that's not going to change. It's a very confusing ending. Like I told you before we started recording, I uh, I had to watch it a couple times thinking, well, maybe I missed something. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> it's just got a lot of symbolism in it yeah. and stuff like that. So it's definitely worth uh, checking out and... Yeah following through anyway what about you i don't want to bring the the room the temperature of the room down a little bit we did have a passing in the family and that was a little bit rough and difficult to deal with so um we're kind of getting over to the, over that um that's kind of what i've spent the last couple weeks kind of dealing with right i i had a, a friend pass away over the summer last august and you know, that was really hard but i like good stuff comes out of it like i i saw a lot of people from my childhood that I haven't seen in years, you know. And so in those rough times, you know, you find good things in them. So, yeah, that's it for In the Realm. So for Let's Talk About Blank today, we have a question from Troy Zeisler. It's a bit of a long one, so bear with me. He he's says, a bit of a long-winded fella. <laughs> I know he's listening. I've met him, right? I don't know. Curse Maybe. of Strahd? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, he was okay, there. Yeah. So he says, what do you think about ability score slash feat gaining levels for multiclass? My issue is that the way the class levels read now, if you want to multi-class and at level 1 Barbarian and level 3 Bard, I have still not learned an ability score increase or feat. I'm still level 4 experience-wise, and proficiency is based on overall level, but mechanically I don't get an ability score increase until I've gained my 4th level Bard. I argue that since every class has the same ability score increases, levels 4, 8, and 12, etc., those should be based on your overall level and not your class level. AKA, they should not be considered class features. Since fighters are unique and having extra increase levels, they should treat those as actual unique features that they require 6 and 14 levels in fighter to get. What are your thoughts? First, I'll say, I believe Rogue has extra... Yes, Rogue does. ...increases have, too. I, think, I know it's not it's not 100% unique to the fighter, yeah. that's for sure. I will say, the reason I think it's balanced that you have to have the class level in order to get the ability score increase or the feat is because when you multi-class you are are gaining access to a lot a lot of extra stuff a lot of utility yeah and there should be an opportunity cost there should be something you know it should there should be a decent pretty significant sacrifice in order to take well you're losing access to other features though right if i'm level if i take 15 into fighter and five into bard i lose access to those unique features from 15 to 20 so you're already dropping those and those are the capstone abilities right so those are super critical with a spellcaster you're losing access to higher level spell slots so i would argue that that's the 
the cost of multi-classing already. Plus, in order to multi-class, you have stat requirements you have to meet, which gets even harder if you don't get uh, ability score increases. I don't think if you let, if you had house ruled and allowed people to make their ability score increases based on their class level, I don't think it would break the game. I wouldn't allow it. I'm not a huge fan of that, but I don't think it would break the game. I think it I would agree. Be I manageable. think the only challenge that would really come from it would be that the DM would have a much more difficult time setting up the encounter levels. Yeah. Um, because now not only do they have their feats, they have all these additional abilities as well as a multi-class. Um, that's the only challenge I would see coming from it. That being said, I don't think that it's a problem. It's not part of the core rules, but you can easily homebrew to allow that. But what I would do is make sure that if you are going to do something like that, to go ahead and make sure you increase the difficulty of the yeah. encounters as well. Yeah, you know, because honestly, I'm actually not a huge fan of multiclass in general. Okay. Um, not mechanically. Uh, I don't. I think it's hard to make it work in a role in a, like a story aspect because you know your your characters in D and D are meant to be you know elite at what whatever their class right, is. Right. You know you're an elite fighter, you're a master swordsman, you know you're a an elite spellcaster, and when you start multiclassing, it kind of takes away from that master of one. You become like a jack of all rather than a master of one. Right. Which I think. But that's the whole point of multiclassing is to allow you to dip into those things to in, take get more utility over raw power. In a role play aspect, though, that would make you far less suitable in combat if you're not as competent in your combat abilities as the person you're fighting against. Hmm. I don't I suppose, know. but yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely see the advantages of both, though. Right. Um, as far as the feats, I, I think it's a cool idea, and I don't, I say, hey, give it a shot. Um, see if it works. See if it works. Run, yeah, maybe run I'm a couple, wrong. run a couple <laughs> levels. Maybe ten, it will. Yeah, maybe it'll work wonderfully. Yeah, run some ten levels and see. Maybe it, maybe it makes it more balanced, or maybe that's a good idea for a smaller group. Yeah. If you only have a group of two players, um, you can run a little bit more challenging and intricate combat with those people if they have. If multi-classing have feats, but try it out. If it doesn't, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. At least right. you know. Right. And, and worst case scenario, um, when you're setting up the encounters, your character, your players are gonna fucking mow right through the content. So, right. yeah. And that may not be a bad thing. Maybe they like to do that. They go in, they chop some shit up, and they move on. You know. Yeah. Mutilate so. the bodies. And <laughs> it's a but uh, definitely, uh, let us know how it works if you try it. Um, I might even run a one-shot and allow that. Maybe I'll run a level 10, level 15, one-shot one of these times. And just and we'll have get, everyone multi-class and yeah, try it out. Say, hey, everyone multi-class uh, at least a third of your level levels into this. Yeah, and, and at least we'll see how it goes. And take the extra uh, yeah. there is, I think there is one advantage to that, though. It's making that much more variation between the characters. Because now I can multi-class and pick different feats. Yeah. So that definitely, if you're going for more customization, that might be a good solution for that, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Definitely try it out. See how it works. Let us know. Yeah, and if we give it a shot, we'll let you know as well. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for your question, Troy, and we hope to hear back from you. All right, well, welcome to Crit Academy, Ross. Um, it's good to have you today. Uh, we have a very special guest with us. Um, yes, we have Ross McConnell with us on our show. Uh, he is the creator of Two Minute Tabletop, which is an awesome site. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. Um, Two-Minute Tabletop is really simple. It's basically a map gallery. So 
for battle maps and set pieces, uh, world maps, region maps, town maps. Uh, I draw these at least one a week and I post them to my website. That's awesome. Yeah, my aim is two a week, but I, I make at least one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we like to really get the show rolling by uh, talking about something cheerful or exciting. So what is your most memorable D&D or roleplay moment? Oh, that's a fun one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been Dungeon Master for about 90% of my time playing, so it's going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn because it's going to be something from my own game. But and There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, for a long time, about a year now, I've been running this one campaign for my brother and my close friends. And then we wanted to introduce two new guys to the, the group. So what I did was I did like a prologue to the present day campaign we were running. Okay. Uh, and in the prologue, it was set like a thousand years in the past. Um, Damn. And it's one of those cases where the the history of the world is much more interesting than what's going on at the time. So it turns <laughs> out the prologue was so much more fun than the real campaign. Um, but it was only three sessions. It's like a this is how you play D and D kind of game. But it all wrapped up uh, with a bunch of uh, giants ripped straight out of Shadow of the Colossus besieging this mountainside walled settlement, and they had cannons firing and uh, all these traps set. And I brought in some. Um, mass combat homebrew rules so we could have like a thousand uh troops on the board and it was it was only versus three giants and maybe a hundred of their minions but it all and it was also unbalanced i'm surprised it worked out so well it <laughs> killed about five out of six of our player characters and each <laughs> one of them just happened to have the most cinematic death like a monk ran up the back of one giant stabbed him in the forehead and then the giant uh, used a legendary action to snatch him up and grapple him and squeeze him to death just as <laughs> he got hit by a cannon. Yeah, it was all... That's badass. Like, ...movie quality uh, action. And, uh, yeah, they won in the end, and it was a happy ending, even if five out of six players landed up in the ground. But Right, and that's a that's a actually yeah, great so. point. Um, a lot of people treat uh, death as such a bad thing, but it doesn't have to be. You know, having heroes that mm -hmm. sacrifice themselves for the greater good is always a, a great ending to a game. So. I agree, yeah, and especially with the prologue. Now, in the present day of the campaign, um, you know, these old heroes that died to save the city are all heroes, and it's the same players, so they get to see, oh, I. I remember playing that guy, and now he's this big statue in the middle of the city. Yeah, and it, car it carries that weight of what they actually got to participate in, in interacting mm. with NPCs and all that stuff. So that's really cool. That that definitely is a hell of yeah. a story. I love it. My only regret is it sets a high bar for my current <laughs> games. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, that was a one-time thing. You're not probably going to get something <laughs> quite to that level again. It yeah, was an you, accident. You're going to have to get to 20th level this time. <laughs> Very cool. Um, really, that's really awesome. We'll have to borrow that. <laughs> I definitely love the idea. So yeah, I might actually make a, a battle map one day of like a, a titan and uh, his shoulders and his hips and all the little bits you can climb up. Now that I think about it, it might be fun. <laughs> Heck yeah. 
So now on to the, the, the juicy bits. How did you get into uh, the map making process, I guess? Mm, I'd probably been a dungeon master. Well, actually, back then I was playing Pathfinder, so I was a game master technically. Uh, I'd probably played that for six months uh, as the game master, and naturally I started making my own maps. And uh, at a certain point, I liked them enough that I wanted to share them on Reddit. So I guess you could say Two Minute Tabletop version one was just a Google Drive folder somewhere. <laughs> where I uploaded these maps and yeah they got they got such a good following on Reddit that uh, it eventually evolved into our website wow that is that's a nice story i know that uh as dms we often generate so much content um i personally had never thought to share any of my content and it seems like that's something that um as a dungeon master i would encourage all dungeon masters to do because we all kind of have our own speciality, something that we're mm. exceedingly good at um, that somebody else may fall a little short. And being able to, you know, share those resources is really awesome. And I think that uh, you have a very special skill, and the artwork on these maps is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, just earlier today, I found myself collecting a bunch of NPC stat blocks off Reddit, uh, which is something I'm very bad at doing. So. I guess if we all take care of our own specialty, then eventually there'll be enough on the internet to make whatever kind of campaign we want. Oh, for sure. And that's kind of the whole idea behind Crit Academy is we decided that we wanted to take the knowledge that we knew and share it with others, whether they get use out of it or not. I'm not one to tell. Um, I know we're having <laughs> some mild, mild, some mild success, but uh, your, I mean, your site is just, it blows me away. First, when you go to it, the, the, the maps, they're beautiful. They are absolutely beautiful beautiful your art style is very unique when it comes to map making i think oh thank you it, i can't even tell you how nice it is uh definitely uh for our fans this is definitely something they're going to want to uh check out um so you kind of talked about you know publishing and sharing your map starting off as a google drive at what point uh in your your journey during that um what uh how did you go about saying, okay, you know what, now I might as well go ahead and convert this to a website and, and try to deliver regular content? You know, when did you start to kind of decide to make that uh, versus now? How long ago? Yeah, um, I remember from the email receipt, I started the website in like October of 2015. Okay. And it was about two months before that that I made my first, well, that I actually scanned in my first map. So in that two months, I went from a Google Drive folder to a pay-what-you-want Gumroad account, which is essentially people can pay $0 plus for a piece of content. And, uh, yeah, at each step, I was getting enough good feedback that I thought, okay, what's next? And... Uh, by following that road, it landed up with a website and a Patreon account, which I've stuck with till now. Was there any challenges you had uh, going through that process, converting from something you were just uh, giving away to people and sharing to trying to monetize it? Mm, yeah, honestly, it uh, it was all much easier than I expected. But my one regret is um, when I first started, I had I had no idea what DPI meant or 
I didn't even know that uh, in the USA you use a different sized piece of paper than we do here. Oh, no so kidding. all of my oldest maps are made for a A4 size sheet, which is about one or one and a half inches wider or longer than a US letter sheet. So I it, didn't it know made that. it a real pain in the butt to print it out on US letter paper. Probably cut cut the edges off, huh? Yeah, it did that. Oh, actually, it did worse than that. It made your <laughs> printer want to print out on six pages instead of four, so it was just wasting oh, all this no. paper. Wow. But so. I learned these lessons as I went, and yeah, there wasn't. It it was it was just surprisingly smooth the whole thing. Honestly, um, I I I've created one or two websites before. Mm-hmm. Uh, since I got out of high school, I've been trying different things on the internet. So I was already rather proficient with web hosting and stuff. So, you know, transferring all the files and stuff to a, a new server, that went all nice and smoothly. You know, we were talking about how awesome this art style that you have is. It's definitely unique. Um, can you kind of walk us through the process of creating and designing your, your maps? Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I did go to a fine art class for about two years, uh, but all of that information which I picked up just kind of went into my subconscious, and now I have no idea what I'm doing. It just kind of works, because somewhere (laughs) at the back of my mind, I know about the golden mean and all these different artistic techniques. Not to say I employ all of them. Um, If a proper artist looks at my work, there's going to be a hundred things they can pick out that's wrong, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, specifically for map drawing, um, I kind of think back to this one character that I play in my brother's campaign, which is a tavern brawler. So I kind of get in his mindset and think, okay, what cool things can I put into this map that Merrick, the human barbarian, would like to swing around and hit people with? (laughs) And then inevitably there's going to be carts and... uh, swords and rubble scattered around and that's the other thing is difficult terrain and elevation and skill challenges these are all things you can scatter in just to make things more interesting yeah and that's kind of separate the fighting otherwise it it becomes just a plain you know i try not to make it just uh, a flat dry erase board that happens to have pretty pictures on it so try and put interesting obstacles in there too right and that's one thing that i really like about your artwork and that's kind of something that we preach on the show that when you're designing uh, an encounter you always want to have other things for the players to do and the npcs to do that's not just stab each other whether exactly it's, yeah you know, whether <laughs> it's having a chandelier or having a you know an old cart full of manure off to the side or some braziers or whatever and your your art style and your maps definitely hold true to that um, and that's one reason reason we really enjoy them. Do you have a specific inspiration that you pull from as you're deciding on a map, or you just decide today I'm drawing a wizard's tower, or today I'm drawing you know a village, or do you have some sort of inspiration that you pull from, or something along those lines? Yeah, most often it's the video game I happen to be playing at the moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I, I can pinpoint the time in my life when I was playing The Witcher 3 because I, I released like three or four or five different maps that were just straight up inspired by The Witcher 3. And I'm surprised nobody's caught on because like the color scheme <laughs> and everything, it's very, it's almost an homage to The Witcher, except 
without credits. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, video games and movies, those are kind of the two passions uh, where I spend most of my time besides drawing. So I pull a lot out of whatever video games I've played or whatever movies strike my interest. And and that's a good point to make that, you know, you can pull inspiration from a lot of things that you've seen on TV or books you've read or games you've played and use those ideas because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of mm. good ideas that people have done and there's no need to reinvent the wheel if somebody's already got a really good concept for attacking a giant colossus, uh, <laughs> with, you know, with thousands of people and they've already done it. Why spend the time trying to remaster that instead? Borrow the concept and redesign it to fit whatever campaign session you have or campaign you're running. Mm. At least, yeah. What's what's the saying? It's uh, an unoriginal man copies one person, but the genius copies a hundred. <laughs> it all comes down to copying, though. <laughs> right, and not not, and we want to make sure clear to our listeners, we're not talking about you know plagiarizing or anything. You know, a wizard t- no. wizard's tower is a pretty generic staple, but if you find one adventure specifically that you know has a whole lot of alchemic potions in it because they're explosive, um, that's a good idea to make sure. Well, that would be good in my cast in, in my tower or something along those lines. But you know. Mm. Um, those are the ideas you want to take and there's definitely a lot to come from your artwork so when you're when you're drawing your your artwork and you're designing them do you that's not in pencil i thought i watched a video and i thought you were coloring on like a uh like a photoshop or was it uh do you draw on like a tablet or oh yeah um so it always does begin with pencil and the line art is always done in pencil I used to also pen over a lot of the pencil, but I've dialed it back to just keeping that kind of gritty um, graphite look of the pencil. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I got some good paper, some good pencils, so I draw it all on paper. And if you download one of my maps, you'll see that there's a line art only mode in the PDF. That is essentially what comes out when I put the artwork in the scanner. And then uh, underneath that line art, I plug it into Photoshop and I go about coloring it in. So, yeah, it's somewhere in the middle of um, uh, fine physical art and digital art. Yeah, and like I said, it's very very cool. Uh, We've actually used your wizard tower, which is why I brought that up as a subject. It was actually my first experience with your... uh, um, with your content, which I actually briefly told you about before we started recording that, you know, my buddy, uh, purchased some of your art and said, Hey, you know, you can go here and get this tower you're looking for at no cost because you are awesome. And you have several awesome maps that you just give away for Mm -hmm. free. And I'm a big fan of that because that gives me an idea to test out content before I decide to make an investment. And, Mm -hmm. and, and now I don't use maps as often as a lot of people for that people play Pathfinder or 4E or 3.5. They most people use maps pretty religiously. I use them specifically in some very specific encounters when I make them extremely complex and it's very difficult to track positioning. But <laughs> um, when I do use maps, uh, I try to use. I like to like this Wizard Tower was a good one. I want to use something that's got a lot of good content, and and you really bring that to the table. Not only is the artwork absolutely gorgeous, but there's so much stuff in each each area that gives the players ideas of things to play with, and I think that's important. 
Yeah, that that's that's definitely my goal, and um, I do try and put out a lot of things that are set pieces, which you may use more than once. Uh, like right now, I'm working on a galleon that's inspired by uh, somewhere in the middle of Assassin's Creed Black Flag's Jack Daw and Pirates of the Caribbean's um, Black Pearl. Oh, nice! That sort of ship. So anyone who's running a pirate-themed adventure, you know where to find a nice ship. Yeah, head on over to uh, twominutetabletop.com and take a poke around. Definitely get some. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, can't, I can't recommend the, the stuff enough. I, like I said, I really enjoy it. But I have to ask you, what are some of the uh, in challenges that you encounter when you're going through this process now? Yeah, I think all artists of any kind uh, will attest that creative burnout is going to hit you at one point or another, no matter what. Um, there's days when I'll set up my pencils and my paper and I'll put on some music and then I'll just kind of stare at the paper, the blank page, for about two <laughs> hours thinking, what am I going to put on this thing? <laughs> and, yeah, you have a hundred different ideas, but none of them are the one to do that day. Yeah, so that that comes up every now and then. Is there a particular way that you you overcome that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I find that immersion helps a lot. If I'm trying to draw a forest, uh, I put on some ambient forest sounds, close oh, my eyes cool. and just go into that DM mode for a while, you know, where you start thinking about, okay, what does the forest smell like? What does it look like? What kind of birds are singing? And once you're there in your head, it's much easier to start putting it on the paper, I guess. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I uh, I've never really tried going into like the DM mode, like a transformer. That's pretty cool. I uh, if I <laughs> honestly, if I can't think of what I need, I just forget about it and walk away. And I hope I hope Eureka strikes, you know, where I just it uh-huh. comes to me when I'm doing something else, which is usually what happens. But I I never thought to try to listen to ambient music for kind of inspiration. That's actually pretty clever. I'm gonna have to borrow that, Ross. I really am. Yeah, yeah. That's what I do when I'm desperate anyway, but the walking away <laughs> method does work very well too. <laughs> I mean, my entire Japan trip that I just recently got back from was basically one big stepping back from everything and kind of looking at it in a new light. And, um, so it's think, kind of a big reset button, you could say. Uh, do you have a map that's inspired by your trip to Japan? Yeah, I got a town map. I called it Coastal Map yes. because I wanted to, to rank in Google. So I went with something very simple, but um, yeah, it's it's inspired by um, feudal Japanese towns, and you've got a shrine, and you've got a uh, marketplace. The marketplace map is actually from that set. Um, yeah, there's a a couple different Japan themed maps. Yeah, I thought I read that when I was going uh, looking through some of your stuff the, uh, a while ago that you had gone to Japan and that was yeah I found it it's right here it's very nice man it's beautiful it's very creative <laughs> I like how you <laughs> you kind of your, your art kind of reminds me of when I used to watch you know <laughs> Bob Ross where he had very wonderful art but some of it was kind of indistinct abstract I guess where you didn't draw cuz some people draw like every single tree or you know something like that but it's very mm. almost abstract in some of the art which really I think makes it pop I really like the one with the chain of islands with the three bridges. Um, I'm going to have to uh, yeah. get my hands on that one for an adventure because that's really nice. Um, so, 
So going through this whole entire yeah, process, yeah, going through this entire process that you've done, and from start to finish, you know, with your draft and your concept idea and your finishing, you've now successfully got a Patreon, and uh, you've you know managed to really seems like you've managed to really have a really great business model going on. Do you, when, if at all, did you have what I call the aha moment? That moment you knew that the idea that you have is going to work and potentially could allow you to live the life that doing what you love and kind of what led up to that moment. Mm, yeah, that actually, that also happened in Japan. Um, it was a very slow, but um, a very stable kind of growth of the Patreon. Uh, but only when my entire schedule was swept out underneath me, when I landed in Japan and found I had no time at all to make maps, but the Patreon kept growing consistently. That was when I realized, okay, this thing has its own kind of momentum. Um, uh, I don't think I could kill it unless I actually went and deleted my Patreon. Uh, that was definitely the moment when I realized I was, I had some kind of, some kind of real job, as I'd call it, because up until then, you know, my real job was uh, filling shelves at the grocery, mm-hmm. and drawing during the day was just my hobby. But uh, yeah, by the time I got back from Japan, I'm like, okay, I need to um, declare this as my primary income on my tax rebate because <laughs> this is my real job now. Yeah, and that's wonderful, and and you deserve it. You really do. Clearly, you put a massive amount of work into the content that you deliver, and the amount of maps you release is just ungodly. I can't draw a battle grid in the amount of time you release a map. <laughs> so definitely. That, and that's one thing that uh, supporters of yours and really supporters of anybody is they want people who will constantly release the content that they love and they're willing to pay to support that. So mm-hmm. it's very, I'm very glad that you're getting the support you deserve because, like I said, you had an amazing product. I have to ask, if you had to, with the, if you had to start all over and you had the knowledge you have now, is there anything you would do differently? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd skip the whole Google Drive and uh, <laughs> Gumroad stage. I'd go straight to the website and Patreon model. Uh, that's working so much better. Uh, there's also, you know, 101 different quality of life improvements, which I've, uh, I've discovered or bought uh, in the time that I've been drawing maps. Uh, like the, uh, the Cintiq tablet you mentioned, so that thing... Basically, it made drawing on the computer fun again, to be honest. Oh, yeah? I was getting real sick of drawing with the mouse, and to have a stylus again was just a whole other world. Oh, yeah, that's completely different. I can't even make a circle with my mouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the only reason I could was because I'd practiced and practiced for hours and hours just drawing on my computer. Yeah, but but uh, any artists out there, as soon as you start making money, start investing it in good pencils, good paper... And just, just, yeah, um, uh, don't rip yourself off with cheap materials. For the longest <laughs> time, I was drawing with cartridge paper and some five-cent uh, post office pencil. <laughs> and only recently have I upgraded all that. And, and it's really in, important to note, regardless of what field you're in or what you're doing, when it comes to purchasing tools, if it's something you're going to use, <laughs> don't be such mm-hmm. a cheap shithead about it because there's... The difference between a good pair of tools and a shitty pair of tools is a mile long. And when you're, yeah. I, you know, and 
when I was in you know college, I really had to make sure that I was on the cheaper end of stuff. But then I felt like I was constantly replacing stuff and the quality wasn't as good. And it wasn't only until after I graduated that I came to the same conclusion you do that, you know what, when you're working with something, you want to make sure you use the best tools that at your disposal. Um, and if that means you have to work an extra weekend to make money to pay for it, do it because you won't regret it. So Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, you know, since you're a, a guest on our show, I, I really do have to ask, is there anything you're secretly working on? Um, kind of give our listeners a little taste of what's to come, something that maybe your Patreon donors don't know about that you can even give a hint to them? Hmm. It's tough because I'm the sort of person that will reveal far too much and make promises <laughs> that I can't keep. So there's not much which I haven't mentioned somewhere. Um, the the galleon I mentioned will probably be out before this podcast goes live, but okay. that's the only thing that's still a surprise. Okay. Uh, and then after my current project, I want to start on the dungeon tile set. Uh, so that's going to be a whole collection of crypts and prisons and uh, all sorts of underground adventures you could make out of that. Oh, very cool. That one I'm looking forward to, yeah. And you got torture chambers and all that stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything you could find beneath a, an evil castle and that sort of thing. Do you think there's any nice dungeons out there? You, um, you mentioned an evil I mean, castle. Yeah. And just like, is there any good ones? <laughs> any nice ones with flowers? Yeah, Legend of Zelda. If you walk into a fairy temple, that's kind of a dungeon, isn't it? Oh, it is. Oh, they're just gonna. It's it's like an underground healing spring. That's that sounds nice to me. That sounds like an awesome encounter of the podcast. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> I like that. Mm. Wonderful. Inevitably, it's going to be forest nymphs or something. Something malicious, anyway. <laughs> of course, it's always trying to kill the adventurers. <laughs> Though. Yeah. Um, you've been doing this art, these map makings for since 2015 and you're obviously having great success. Um, do you at any time feel like you'll ever want to change to something else instead of maybe map making, making something else? Or is this something you see yourself doing indefinitely for as long as you can or want to? Yeah. I mean, when two minute tabletop first came into being, the reason I named it Two Minute Tabletop and not Two Minute Battle Maps or something like that was because I had a bunch of these ideas just for, just to make like uh, publicly available all the web tools I'd made for myself, like initiative trackers and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it just turned out that the battle maps are what worked, and so I stuck with that. But yeah, I mean, I'm still terrible at drawing faces but uh, <laughs> I'm working on that so one day I, I foresee making like an NPC portraits pack or something like that uh, I think it'll definitely be in the an arty vein and not so much the web tool vein yeah. uh, since it's kind of my identity now it's definitely what I enjoy doing most so yeah there, there's a lot of variety within the label maps though i mean you got your world maps your set pieces i mean i could be drawing a boat today and a, a map of the world tomorrow so unless i suddenly become allergic to graphite pencils <laughs> i'm not going to get sick of drawing anytime soon wonderful you mentioned the i'm going to kind of backtrack here you mentioned the the npc 
map portrait pack. I think that is an amazing idea, and I hope that you follow through with it. Because if there's one thing that I think would be awesome, and I had this when I was younger, and I don't know what the hell happened to it. I had this little pamp, little deck of cards that had random NPCs on it. So when my players would go talk to a random NPC, I could just flip, flip it up and show them, and then add nice. a personality to it. So yeah, if you absolutely. if you do something like that, please shoot me an email and let me know because I will support that 100% because I've been through something similar. I don't remember where I got the cards or what they were for. It's just something that I mm. use for random NPCs. So if you do something like that, please let me know because I think that that would be awesome and I would like to support that. Um, yeah, I think I will. As soon as I'm proficient at drawing faces, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, as a tip, uh, something I use in my own game is I... I downloaded off the images ripped from the Gwent minigame from Witcher 3. Okay. Uh, so that's just got a whole collection of dwarves and elves and humans of different factions, mm -hmm. all with very distinct personalities and faces. And, yeah, you can kind of do the same thing with that. And last thing I kind of want to bug you about, um, and I was, look I was trying to look for it, and I don't see it anywhere. Do you do... Uh, contract work like if I needed a special type of map made do you do that or offer right. that um, I used to do it when I was still starting up um, okay. the thing is right now I'm making enough money on patreon that it's it's I don't necessarily want the extra money to <laughs> do a a map that I'd won't find fun necessarily gotcha so I'd prefer to draw my um, my galleon ship because uh, <laughs> that's my idea and that's where my passions are right. at right now it's not somebody else rather than earning a couple extra dollars for uh, something I don't necessarily want to draw well, so couldn't hurt I, to I ask. sound very privileged but <laughs> no no it's, it's fine it couldn't the... hurt to ask like I said I really like your art yeah. style um, and that's why I thought I would ask while I had you on the show um <laughs> Ross, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, it was great having you. Um, I hope that uh, you enjoyed your visit here. Um, I know Ryan couldn't make it due to work, and I do apologize for that. Um, but to all of our listeners, if you get an opportunity, please take a minute to swing by 2minutetabletop.com. Do you want to give yourself a, a, a one last plug about your website and why it's so great? Uh, yeah, if you'd like hand-drawn stuff uh, with that personal feel to it and you like flashy, colorful maps or scenery, uh, give Two Minute Tabletop a try. Yep. And that's two with a number, not the T-W-O. <laughs> yes. Uh, Although it, I should buy that domain name. <laughs> <laughs> um, and make sure you swing by. Um, he's got lots of free maps that you can swing by and take a look at. And definitely, if you enjoy it and you think it's a good... Uh, you enjoy it and you like the product, purchase a few of them and support him in his art. I want to yeah, hear. I think there's 18 free maps uh, is oh, the number geez. right now. 18, wow, 18 free maps, you guys. You have to swing by and uh, pick some of those up, give them a shot. And like I said, regardless if you use all of them or not, but you like the map, make sure to, to maybe purchase one and support him. Um, great product, and I highly like it, and I hope that uh, all our listeners will too. I want to thank you for uh, joining us today, Ross, and we hope that uh, you enjoyed the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to our Fellowship Party member, Lore Smith, all of Crit Nation has a chance to win a wonderful prize each and every week. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. 
Loresmith is an indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that push them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one you won't want to miss. Today's winner is... Six Odd Seventeen. I want to rip my shirt off right now. Yeah, I know. I want you to, too. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your adventure. Let us know what you think about it. More importantly, let them know what you think about it. Love it, hate it. Let them know. Yep. Congratulations. Now on to our favorite segment, the Unearth Tips and Tricks. Woo! First, we have the character concept of the podcast. The Giant Dwarf. This is actually a character you ran in our Critic Academy Trials episode. Yes, and I do have to admit, I completely ripped off this character concept from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series. You know what? That's yeah. fine. So, Look for essentially, otherworldly inspiration. Yeah, essentially what you have is a human. So this is not a mechanical thing at all. This is all purely roleplay. Uh, your, your character is biologically a human, but he fully believes himself to be a dwarf. Think Buddy the Elf. Or if you've read the Discworld series, <laughs> think Carrot Iron Founderson. You know, he was raised by dwarves, and he thinks he is a dwarf. He just thinks he's a very tall dwarf. And so he, he gets a, a little thing I had. Like, every time someone would call me human, he'd get, like, super mad. He'd be like, I'm not a human! I'm a dwarf! <laughs> but uh, it, it's just a fun little silly roleplay thing. That, and it was, and you played that pretty well in the Crit Academy Trials uh, show where... Yeah, you know, like an NPC would be like, human, but I'm a dwarf! <laughs> It was uh, it was really good. It was really fun, and you really can do this. We say giant dwarf, but you really can do this with many closely related races. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I, you're I not think... going to be a human and then claim you're a tiefling. I would right. hope I, not. I I I almost think though, like the farther apart they are, the funnier it the is. The funnier it would be. You know, you have a dwarf claiming he's a Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, you're obviously not there, buddy. I'm a tiny. You're Goliath. You're a little short there, fella. Very cool. It's a great concept. Definitely, is. A lot of fun to play with. It, yeah, it was just fun. It's just fun and silly. Like no mechanical benefits. Right, exactly. You can play any type, any class with this, whatever you want. It's just this one little thing that every time calls you a human, you're like, I'm not a human. Get all I'm a dwarf. We'll see about it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that is our character concept, the giant dwarf. Our monster variant of the podcast is Conan, Conan the, the Sunderer. Sunderer. <laughs> <laughs> um, now this is a variation on the Berserker. Uh, the berserker from the monster manual (laughs) basically you're adding uh, a special feature this feature is known as sunder armor when this creature uses the reckless feature which is part of the berserker uh monster it's it's similar like the uh barbarians reckless swing right they get get advantage and attacks against them get advantage right when this creature uses the reckless feature and successfully hits a target in medium or heavy armor it creates a momentary chink in the enemy's armor the next melee or ranged weapon attack on the target can score a critical on a 19 or a 20. Yeah, so it's just a little bit of a mechanical buff for yeah. your baddies. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's really nice because because he has an uh, advantage when he's reckless, it's much more likely he's going to land a, a devastating blow to the, the players. And I would hope that once they see this in action, they would... Kind of be a little more wary of the engagement, right. you know. Now, keep in mind, the way we have it 
is it's only medium or heavy armor, so if this is hitting your rogues, your bards, or right. your wizards, it's not going to affect them. I mean, the damage is going to affect them, but <laughs> the extra uh, score for a crit isn't going to affect them. But if you think, like, you can homebrew that a little bit and change twink it, it or Twink it? Twink it? Twerk it? Tweak. Tweak it. <laughs> Tweak it around a little bit and see what works best for you. Um, but it's just, it's a really interesting, it creates an interesting feature because it's not like you're giving them something that doesn't exist already. Yeah, the champion fighter, or champion archetype of the fighter, crits on a 19. This isn't a right. new mechanic. It's just adding something in to a monster to make them a little more unique right. and, and a little more challenging. And requires a special condition to meet that requirement. Right. So, um it definitely is a nice variation. It doesn't boost their damage too much. It just can be a little bit of a surprise to yeah. the players. Yeah, and as a DM, um, don't try to explain to them what's happening, but don't say don't say they it. crit on a nineteen. Now, you know, if if he hits you, say okay, he hits you with a really heavy blow, and you feel like you know your your defense has been moment been weakened momentarily. Right. And then right. if the next hit does hit a nineteen, you crit. Say, you know, something like. You know the blow. It didn't seem like it was that strong of a blow, but for some reason, it just was able to find purchase and really sink deep. Right. And um, so, kind of give a hint at as to what's happening, but don't say, "Well, because he hit you with a thunder armor effect, um, you're uh, you get your crit on a 19 now." <laughs> right, right. Um, somebody actually pointed out that I should actually print these and put them on our site. I don't know why I haven't done that. <laughs> It'd be hard to put them on your site by printing them. I fucking hate you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to glue them to uh, the computer monitor. You know what? I might do that. No, to put them up in a section yeah. of the site. So maybe I should do That'd that. Be cool. Yeah, because otherwise they're just trying to listen to us over and over and over to write it down. <laughs> That's the plan. So I may do that. I may not. I got enough shit to do as it is. Right. So I get that. That is our monster variant of the podcast. Tune in this Sunday. Our encounter of the podcast is the euphoric gas. So essentially what you have is a little puff or a cloud of gas that's released into like, modify the numbers as you want. But uh, we said a 10 foot square. Targets need to succeed on a DC 11 constitution save, or sorry, wisdom save. And if they fail, then for one minute they can't take any reactions. And they have to roll a D6 at the start of each turn to determine what the, um, what behaviors they exhibit right. due to the gas for example uh one through four the targets take no action or no bonus action and uses all its movement to run in a random direction yep um and then on a five or six the target doesn't move and the only thing it can do on its turn is make a dc 11 wisdom saving throw ending the effect on itself on a success this is the idea behind this is it allows you as the DM to get very creative because it's a hallucinogen. Put it in a room full of traps. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 that, uh, running in random directions, ah, fucking mouse traps everywhere, um, or falling into pits. Yeah. Um, the idea is that the floor it's, is lava. <laughs> it's a trap that can be set in a entranceway or in a dusty old uh, chest that they open up, or maybe they open up a closet and it slings shit out of, at them. The the goal is to make them hallucinate and see whatever it is you want. Right. They get to experience the the fear because when it first happens, it's like scarecrow gas. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and the point is, is that if they don't know that the dust, you know, explodes in their face, they may not know that they're under the effects of a hallucinogen. Yeah. So 
they are uncontrollably maybe running from whatever's chasing them or they see the ceiling collapsing and they're jumping out from underneath it in a random direction. <laughs> you know, you can utilize these as a DM and get very creative to deliver something that only happens to that person that's affected. Right. You know, and th- I don't know. I think it's uh, well, and it can affect more people. The bigger the square, the, the area you use, the better. So, um, obviously you probably don't want them all to be under the effects at once. Cause yeah, that I think be it bad. would be fun if no cliffs, <laughs> <laughs> I think what would be fun is if they, you know, fail to save and they th- like, well, let's take your example. They see the, uh, the ceiling Collapsing. falling out from them, have them make a deck save just to like add to the, the realism. Of oh, the, like, sure. oh, I need you to make a deck save. Yep. And then, <laughs> cause then the other people that are like standing right there, so like, do I have to make this? No, you're good. You're fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> trying to explain that. Yeah. I said the ceiling was uh, just on him. I just did. on him. Just him. Yeah. Just in his square. Well, well, I'm, ne- I'm I'm right next to him. He's standing on my shoulders. It, it, trust me, it's just him. <laughs> <laughs> I think it can be a lot of fun and gives you a lot of creative freedom to, I mean, if you have a player that gets hit with this shit and all of a sudden they see a freaking Umberhulk chasing after him or bust right. through the wall, that's pretty frightening. So, all right, that is our encounter uh, on the podcast, the Euphoric Gas. Our magic item of the podcast actually comes to us this week from Game Master Stash's Facebook group. Guys are awesome. Very creative. They are. Yeah. Is the dancing violin. This old and battered violin looks out of place in any high society function. Simply made, but on closer inspection, you can tell a masterful hand crafted it. When bow meets string, listeners can't help but dance. The violin has a 1d4 charges at dawn. It can cast the command spell in its lowest level, and the command can only be dance. Save you've DC ever played League of 13. Legends, this is like Sona's ultimate. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, man. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so this is meant to be a very fun, fun utility ability, which can be used for... In combat. This can be very control. useful yes, in combat, yes. For crowd control. Um, it's not damage, but... Right. Friends right. To get well, jump you got to remember, though, it affects everybody that can hear it. Oh, it is everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So you do got to be careful. Well, um, I was just... Because the command spell is... But yeah, it's an item. But yeah, it so. is important to keep in notice that the violin requires uh, it also consti- your friends. constantly be played. It's like so the in order to maintain violin. it, uh, yeah, you do need to maintain your action to play it. So it is a, a pretty potent uh, utility ability. Um, but remember, it does affect uh, your allies and does require you to maintain uh, playing the violin to maintain the spell. Yeah. So. And that is our magic item of the podcast, the dancing violin, courtesy of Game Master Stash. Visit them over at their Facebook group. Yeah. Our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is festivals. As a DM, (laughs) it's important to kill your players, but it's also important (laughs) to make sure that before that happens, they have some fun. They have some fun. (laughs) Um, Something that uh, really can be a great addition to any adventure or any story is having special festivals when you create the festival though um, make sure that whether it's a uh, decide whether you're going to do a like a world festival or a town or something local that they celebrate you know each festival should really have some key points yeah so first you want to you want there to be a reason for the festival a lot of you know easy ones to go with are like an Oktoberfest type festival or like a winter veil vale, like a, a christmas festival christmas you know yeah uh, obviously harvest. it's not going to be called christmas right. because it's in a different world but that kind of thing 
Um, Under Mog's Day is a really good one. Yeah. If you remember back to <laughs> yeah. one of our previous uh, podcasts. Yeah, with uh, Kurt. Um, entertainment. Uh, there should be types of things there that are entertaining, you know, dancers, song, music, games, activities, food. Should be a lot of lots of different things. Parades in the streets, you know, uh, orchestras, maybe I don't know. Just a lot of fun things that are going on that can entertain your players, can entertain the NPCs even. Uh, you want to have myths that are tied to the origins of the festival and why the festival is around. So like, if so if you're doing like the the like the Christmas festival, the winter festival like I was suggesting, well, what exactly do are these people celebrating in the winter time? What what happened in their mythology or in their theology that is worth celebrating around this time of the year? And the last thing is traditions that people follow for the festival. So this kind of goes back to the entertainment as well. Um, you know, this includes things like parades. You know, think of Chinese New Year. The parades are a huge tradition. Um, Golden Week in Japan. They have all these parades and festivals that are traditional. Uh, here in the U.S., for the 4th of July, we have fireworks. It's a tradition that we observe on that holiday. So just things that people do for this holiday that your players can partake in or witness. Um, and then this isn't necessarily... This isn't necessary, but what I recommend is using the festival to tie into an adventure hook. Even if it's like a, a one-shot adventure or something... You know, maybe they're in this strange town that they've never been in before, and there's this, uh, you know, false or sp this solstice festival going on that there is really fun. It's awesome, but there's something kind of sketchy and weird about it. And <laughs> you got to ruin it. It's not got to be all sketchy. Well, yeah, you know, maybe it's some weird thing. Like they find out that you know the reason this town is so prosperous when it's tiny and no one's ever heard of it is because you know they're sacrificing people or something, <laughs> yeah, and that's what we, this that was, festival is. I was say that. I think we had that as a discussion. As an, yeah, once. and um, so you can use your fe these festivals to create a small adventure hook to kind of rope your players in and have just a fun session or two. So that wraps up our DM tip of the podcast festivals our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a dick. dick and you can avoid dickitude by giving, giving the, the game, game your, your full, full attention. attention i cannot tell you how many times i have to deal with people who are oh what sorry i was reading a text i fucking hate you <laughs> <laughs> you do it too by the way i know <laughs> um people who are on their phone or watching TV or reading a book or sleeping. I really wish my phone would go off right now. That'd be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. No. Um, you know, it is your job in the, as the player to be invested. If you're not invested, if you're bringing a book, <laughs> you're not invested. <laughs> Reevaluate. <laughs> um, the goal is to be a, have a social experience and not have your head in a your head in a book or a phone or watching the TV. I do understand that some larger groups can get more bogged down. If you have concerns like that where you're getting distracted, please talk to your DM because they may not know that that's what's really going on. Sometimes right. Well, DMs and you know, it's not that, that like your phone should be nowhere near you, but like if it's just like if you're just pulling out your phone to check it. See, oh, I think I felt my phone go off. Let's right, see, make right. sure it's not important. That's one thing. But if like you're sitting there, you sitting there just scrolling down Instagram, and all of a sudden you're like, "Hey, uh, Ryan, it's your turn." Scroll, Ryan. scroll, Ryan, scroll, scroll. scroll. Actually, Ryan, if you watch our Crit, uh, tr Academy Trials episode, there was that exact scenario right there. I wasn't on my phone though; I was just zoned out. <laughs> How could you be so zoned out? Because I, I was looking right at the computer screen. I was just like, "Yeah, yeah." I I'm, I'm realizing that. 
no one can see me right now but i'm just staring at the wall <laughs> blankly but yeah i was just like blankly staring at my computer screen just kind of like half asleep in my in my thoughts in my head and like Ryan! i was like oh whoa. actually i think uh, i think Madi said uh, said dwarf and you answered <laughs> That's what it was like oh, 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 oh you called me a dwarf he's like i wasn't even doing anything i was just watching the screen but i lost it so i got lost in justin's eyes <laughs> it's true they are fucking beautiful <laughs> um so there's nothing worse than I can't, I actually wrote the worst than dick fucking around. There's <laughs> nothing worse than dick fucking. <laughs> uh, and uh, doing something else and then say, oh, is it my turn? Or, oh, what was that NPC say? Or what was his oh, name? Oh, what or... did just that random important NPC say with the adventure hook oh, that uh, I was supposed to listen to and write down? Are we on a boat? Oh, we're on a boat. We've been on a boat I'm for on like a three boat sessions, bro. I'm going fast and... So, please... Try to give the game your full attention. If you can't, take a break from the game. Go do something else. Yeah. Not that day. Just don't, just don't go. Yeah. Because um, it's distracting. That is our player tip of the podcast. Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by... Giving the game your full attention. Well, that's our show. I'm glad you were able to make it to record the beginning and the end and miss the whole middle part. But uh, that's that's life. Rip. <laughs> um we want to take a minute to thank uh, Ross McConnell for being on the show, the guy who, Thank um, you, Ross. It was a pleasure to meet you and interview you today. <laughs> hey, Ross. It was great having you today and interviewing you, and we, we really enjoyed having you on, and your product's awesome. Um, if you're our listener, swing by. You heard us earlier. He's got, like, 18 free maps that he's yeah. got available to you. So swoop by. Let him know what you think. His art's beautiful. I definitely think that you'll love it. If you have any uh, unearthed tips and tricks or concepts that you'd like to share, please send us an email. Uh, we would love to share your UTTs with our heroes. Yeah. Uh, makes a lot less of course work for you, me. We'll give you credit. And... No, no, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, Plot twist. Everything we've ever published has been plagiarized. <laughs> All right. So please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from our heroes. We will be discussing traps and trap making. Woo! Woo, doggy. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help others find our show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes or Libsyn. Or be sure to give us a like and a share. Yeah, it cannot tell you how important it is to like and share our content. Um, that's the way we spread our word because yeah. I'm going to be honest, um, I'm too cheap and can't afford to pay <laughs> for, advertising. for advertising. So um, it really helps. If you leave us a five-star review, we'll make sure to give you a, a mention on the show. Uh so swing on over to iTunes. Yeah. Make sure to head on over to our website and subscribe to our show so we can help you on future adventures. Yeah. You know, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer or subjects you want to hear us talk about, leave us feedback on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy, or you can always email us at CritAcademy at gmail.com. Make sure to visit our website, like I said, to support us. You can also find links to our fellowship members as well as great tools to enhance your game. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ryan. Thanks for listening. Keep, Keep your blades blade sharp and spells prepared, heroes. heroes.